Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. Are you ready to set your mind for success? I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and my guest, Brian Bogert, says that combating the tendency to avoid pain by learning to lean into it actually brings long-term benefits both personally and professionally. And in fact, painful memories from our past can be a huge detriment to our future. I think we already know that, but we're going to talk about it. So when you have the right perspective, Looking back can be so healing and the greatest reminder of how far you have come. Pain is not easy to endure. I mean, there's no question about that. But it's a radical breeding ground for change. And Brian learned the wisdom of resiliency through his own early experiences with pain. As a child, he was run over by a truck. Ow. I don't even like to say that, Brian. And his left arm was detached from his body. So instead of succumbing to suffering because of the injury, he embraced the pain necessary to fully recover and to flourish with a reattached arm thanks to his persistent and proactive focus. And Brian teaches leaders, entrepreneurs, and professionals how to be acutely aware of their environmental conditioning, their emotional triggers, and their behavioral patterns. And he joins us to share his hard-fought and hard-won wisdom. Brian, I am so glad to have you here. Well, I am. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I've enjoyed our conversation so far, so I'm sure today is going to be no different. We had a terrific pre-interview. Honestly, I have to say this. Sometimes I wish I had the sense to record some of those things because they're so brilliant. Yeah. But it's, it's a pre-interview, and it's not really the interview, but yes, we did. And just during that 15 or 20 minutes that we spoke the last time, I was scribbling down notes like crazy. And honestly, my stomach hurt during some of it because we, you know, we are, I think, conditioned to go, oh, that hurt. Don't do that again. No, no, I don't want to do that. And we just wander away from it. And you're telling us that's not the best way to go. Uh, that is exactly what I'm telling. You know, the world tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain. And it makes sense why that happens because it's a natural evolutionary response to survival, right? A hundred years ago, if you cut your leg, Denise, you could die. But that's not really the case anymore for most of us, and, and especially in first world countries. And so, yeah, you, you in my bio really hit on one of the foundational things that shaped this. But I want to give a little bit of credit to this philosophy being created, whether it was intentional or not, because, you know, after my accident, yes, it is extreme. Yes, there's a whole lot that went into that. Yes, there's elements of that story that I could go way deeper on. But this concept of avoiding pain or embracing pain to avoid suffering really came from the fact that at seven, eight, nine, ten years old, although I was the one having surgeries done to me, although I was the one going through physical and occupational therapy for years, uh, I was also a little bit in a fog uh, because I was being guided through the process. But my parents were not in a fog. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, 
to ultimately learn how to embrace the pains required to strengthen and heal me. So like I say, whether it was intentional or not, what they did was they ingrained in me this philosophy and way of living, which was to embrace pain to avoid suffering. And I believe that when we do this correctly, it's also where we gain freedom. And so this, along with one of my other core lessons from this experience, which is I learned very early not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it, has allowed me to realize that when we get moved by the things that happen to us in our life, the pain, the suffering, and how we can use that for purpose, moved people move people. And so these two concepts are not only how we built our last business to over 15 million with the span of a decade, but how now we're flipping it on its head to help individuals and organizations become more aware and more intentional to get back to their most authentic self, who they already are. I believe that it's all of these things that allow magic to happen and allow us to experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment in our lives holistically. And that's why all of our entities are on a mission to impact a billion lives as quickly as possible, because I guess I just envision a world where we have the ability to allow individuals to stand on their own two feet, not only confident, but convicted in who they are, knowing that the world will not only accept them, but embrace them for who they are. And this is kind of what I'm for my kids and my grandkids. And so this concept of embrace pain to avoid suffering, which I know we'll unpack a little bit deeper, really is something I think about every single day because it applies to everything in life. Let's... I almost, I'm almost speechless, and that doesn't happen very often, but I wanted to go back to something that you said at the very beginning, that you said at nine years old, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, what seven-year-old kid knows much of anything, honestly? Yep. But you were able, thank goodness for your parents. I mean, I'm listening to you talk about them and thinking, wow, you had have some phenomenal parents who just jumped in and did whatever they needed to do to help you and I don't think they ever ever wavered in that did they they've never once wavered in that you know the reality of it is is when they looked forward and saw the idea of potential suffering if I wasn't able to use my left arm if you pan forward to today I imagine that when they see my little six-year-old, beautiful, redhead, blue-eyed little unicorn daughter run across the room and jump into my arms and I can lift her above my head with both arms where she can elicit that wild little laugh, I imagine that they not only avoid suffering, but they gain great freedom and great joy through that. So I believe that everything they did was really to put me in the best position to succeed. And I think not only my parents, but a whole variety of individuals in my life who have always been that outside influence to keep me on the rails. Um, you know, that's truly why I am doing what I'm doing today. That's truly why I am who I am today. You know, my wife, other coaches, the nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place, I'm forever indebted to this woman because she saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And she chose to go into action instead of turn her head and go on with her day. It's these little incremental pieces that I see with all the families in the ICU coming up to us and saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. And then learning that their kids in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness, not knowing if they're going to live another 30 days. You know, the reality of it is, is very, very early. Although I didn't know whether or not I'd have successfully reattached arm, if I'd have function and use of it, like I do today to live a happy, healthy and productive life. What I did know is that regardless of what happened to my limb, I was going to survive. And so that perspective is something that really grounds you very early. And uh, those are things I remember going through my mind. But, yes, I'm happy that you picked up on that. My parents uh, deserve a lot of credit for the fact that I have a functioning arm that at one point was 10 feet away from my body, laying in a parking lot on a 115-degree day. 
You are truly blessed. You really are. But what I'm really hearing from you is that I'm thinking that you understand that this happened for a reason, that so you could have this impact on a much greater world audience, if you will, as time went on. And you're talking about impacting a billion people. Let's talk about that because that's a big ask, isn't it? (laughs) It is a big ask. Uh, and I would say that you're accurate. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer at this point in my life, nothing happens by accident. There are no coincidences. What's important, you know, regardless of how extreme our stories are, is that we take the time to become aware of the lessons we can extract from them and then become intentional in how we apply those in our lives moving forward. And we all have the ability to do that. And we also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. So, you know, my purpose in life at this point is to allow my truth to give others permission to live theirs. You know, this extreme story that I have is only a component of the transformation, the life and the development and the full spectrum of mental, emotional, physical and spiritual self. This is just a physical embodiment of what had happened. But yes, I believe that it gave me perspective and I believe that it gave me tools and abilities to communicate my truth in a way to free others. And that's truly where these concepts came from, Um, because it's not lost on me that we cannot do it alone. And so that billion lives. That's not an accident. Uh, That number was very intentional. And I say over a billion lives as quickly as possible, because at one point I used to say, I want to do a billion lives by 2045, but I started to realize how limiting even that statement was. And so we are on a mission to do that through each one of our entities wherever possible. We're really big on the who, helping people discover who they are, who they're doing this for, who they're doing this with, and who they're going to impact. And we have a variety of different businesses that help individuals accomplish each one of those four verticals, because we do believe in who before what, and we believe in people before profits. But the billion lives really came back to the fact that we've got just about 7.2 billion people on the planet. We have about 2.4 billion people that have access to modern technology. Uh, And what I recognize is in the United States alone with 330 million people, this effort is going to be global. It's going to be multifaceted. It's going to be, multi-siloed. And so we have multiple different approaches that we're currently uh, in the process of building. One of them isn't public yet, but we are developing a movement um, that's going to be connected to this with thought leaders across multiple verticals. And really what this is looking at is we studied movements and the largest movements that have ever taken place in our history have all capped out around 100 million people. And BLM was the last one, very, very successful movement, certainly moved a lot, got a lot of attention. But again, they all seem to stifle out around around 100 million people. The only way we get to a billion is collectively. So I talk a lot about collective impact. It's not about Brian Bogert having that level of impact. It's about Brian Bogert through all of his entities creating the ripple effect of impact that will lead to a billion lives. And what that looks like is that we plan to reduce the level of suffering on this planet to allow people to live in their power, to live in their truth, to stand on their own two feet as who they are and experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment. And so when we look at all these factors, a billion lives, 2.4 2.4 people, 2.4 billion with mo- access to modern technology, we're talking about trying to access just about half of those individuals who have access to modern technology and hoping that we have a ripple effect beyond that. And so that's truly what we are setting out to do because we generally believe that if we focus on impact, income is never an issue. And so although we don't sell in a lot of our verticals because we don't believe in convincing people to invest in themselves, we do recognize that those who lean in and invest in themselves create more than enough resources to substantiate all of that impact. And so 
that's what we're working on day in and day out, making sure that we're aligning with people because again, it doesn't happen alone. It's only going to happen with collective effort. And I'm listening to you and you're not marketing anything here. You're not talking about marketing and this is a business podcast and people kind of expect some marketing to happen and I'm fine with that, but that's not what you're talking about here. You're talking about helping people be the best that they can be in order to be the best to people around them, with people around them, to be stronger and to stop living small, meaningless lives. People, so many people are just, they're hunkering, especially right now. They're hunkering down. They're saying, oh, geez, you know, the world's blowing up. We're looking at inflation, gas prices, and they're just withdrawing. And I'm with you. I think that's the worst thing you can do right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we're, we're very big. One of our big concepts and, you know, part of our branding is that we believe in helping people to build a no limits life. Right. And we believe that a no limits life is not recognizing that you can do anything that you want, but that you can certainly live far beyond whatever limits you've placed on yourself or you've allowed the world to place on you. And so, you know, great example. Yeah, I had my arm ripped off. Am I going to go be a professional basketball player? No, I'm not. But can I play very competitively in basketball if I decide to? Yeah, and I have. And so the reality of it is we can look at those external factors, the things that the world has told us we should do or should be, the things that the world has told us we should want. And so there's all these things that really kind of confine us into these boxes that the world will allow us to accept who we are in those boxes. But if we start to step out, that's what scares most of us. And so, you know, we teach a lot around, um, again, not just this concept of pain, but we talk a lot about the human experience and human behavior. And we recognize that the things that keep people stuck, most people think it's because they have the wrong strategy and tactics in their life. Right. If I just go buy this next seven step system for success, I might just break through and have the best year I've ever had in sales. If I just go to this sales conference and training session, I might just learn what I'm going to do. If I hire the best marketer on the planet, I can reach all the people that I want. But the reality of it is, is all those things are critically important, but that's not what keeps us stuck. What keeps us stuck is a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning that keep us swirling the same drain and repeating the same patterns over in our life. It's those things that keep us from reaching out and grabbing exactly what we want because we believe it's just out of grasp because of what the world has told us. And so this is where the concept of embracing pain starts to come in. You know, first we have to understand pain and suffering. And there's a lot of suffering that's taking place right now, especially after these last two years, especially after the inability to connect at the deepest levels of what we all want in the human capacity. But we need to understand what our pain and suffering so that we can start to move through this. So pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, a direct cause from something, and alleviated once that direct cause is removed. And what happens is we as human beings screw that definition up by throwing adjectives in front of it like acute and chronic. Acute maintains the definition, but chronic inherently changes it because it implies that pain is no longer short-term and it persists after that direct cause is removed. So if we recognize this, let's stop calling that chronic pain and call it what it actually is, suffering. See, the thing is with suffering, we don't want to admit that it exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. Whereas pain gets lots and lots of attention because it's real time, it's in front of us, and we want to avoid it at all costs. The thing is about pain is that it's very difficult to measure independent of the person experiencing it. And so it's difficult to draw any kind of definitive conclusions around pain with the exception of one thing. It's a universal human experience. So what I'm suggesting is that we need to understand how to embrace pain, how to embrace the right kinds of pain so that we can start to move through this. But here's what this concept looks like. We can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle. We can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with our loved one or spouse 
to avoid the suffering of being stuck in a loveless marriage that's going to end in divorce or being stuck in a marriage when we actually want divorce. We can embrace the pain of the fit our kids are sure to throw by having them put down their mobile devices at the dinner table to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation we'll never get back. As business owners, we can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson who's contributing the most to top-line growth to avoid the suffering of losing all our other top talent and having stagnant growth because that one person was the greatest cancer in our culture. We as individuals can embrace the pain of unpacking the roots of the emotional triggers that are keeping us stuck by seeking help, guidance through any method of, of healing because there's many out there to avoid the suffering of lost isolation and remaining stuck and suffering for the remainder of our lives. And so the reality of it is that I believe that this applies to every single concept in the world. And we do have a basic framework to help people guide through this. It's not a three-step system because it looks different for every single person. But I do believe, Denise, that we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. In the Deep South, we call that stinking thinking. I'm listening to you, and we're all stuck in it. I catch myself going, really, Denise? Is that true? Is it really true? And I have to have a chat with myself that often involves physical violence because I have to smack my own hand. But I'm listening to you, and I'm hearing that when you're saying by embracing pain, you are logically looking forward to consequences and dealing with those potential consequences instead of saying, oh, let's just see what happens. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, that's the very first step that we ask people to do is to acknowledge the suffering they wish to avoid. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a great example. Examples? Yeah, please. Yeah, I've got examples. I'm going to walk you through this because uh, it's, it's important for us to really be able to apply this because it sounds great, but it also sounds abstract and esoteric, and people are like, wait a minute, what's, what's the pragmatic application here? So first and foremost, I need to just say that most people, when they're like, wait a minute, okay, you're already asking me to talk about pain. Now you're asking me to focus on suffering, and I'm going to just say yes. Please bear with me for just a second because you'll understand how this comes full circle. And I'm not asking anybody to embrace pain just for pain's sake. It's only to be able to identify the necessary pains between where you are today and where you want to be and learning to embrace those along the path. So if we need to learn to acknowledge the suffering we wish to avoid, I'll give a great example with one of my clients. He's a 38-year-old man. First 18 years of his life, he moved 26 times. He moved between his mom, his grandma, his aunt, his dad, never lived in the same place twice, never had the same set of friends twice. To say that he never learned how to give or receive love, to say that he learned how to be a nomad is kind of an understatement. And if you fast forward to where he is today, he's got a beautiful wife and two beautiful girls. See, the thing is, is when we acknowledge the suffering we wish to avoid, most people, when they think about goals, what they want for their lives, that hope and desire is the only thing drawing them there. But what I'm suggesting is that we have to not only do that and not protect ourselves in our goal planning either. That's why we talk about no limits goals, but we also have to understand the other bookend so that we can really understand what are we bouncing between. So we have to understand the suffering that we wish to avoid. So great example on this one. He's got a wife and two beautiful daughters. Suffering for him would be a life without them. But what he's also very aware of is that he's not the man, husband, and father that he wants to be, nor that they deserve, nor that he's capable of being because his own emotional triggers around shame and self-worth are keeping him from believing that he cannot be that man. So what he has to do is he's got to go really inside and recognize that a life without them is something that he is not willing to accept. And then he sits back on the other side and he can envision a very clear image of he and his wife sitting on their ranch in Texas at 80 years old with the wind blowing across the horizon through the brush. And the only thing breaking the silence is the laughter of his kids and his grandkids in the background. 
When he can understand that suffering and he can understand that vision of where he wants to go, that purpose becomes big enough for him to overtake the pain necessary for him to put in the time, energy, and effort to shed the layers of pain and armor that have been conditioned because of what the world has put on him because of his own conditions. And he then is allowed to move through with absolute clarity to become the man, husband, and father that he not only wants to be, that he is, but that his girls deserve to ensure that he can maintain having them in his life for the rest of that time. How is he doing? First step, first step. Is he okay now? I mean, how? it sounds like he's got a big, big dream and he's willing to embrace it. How is he doing with this? 18 months in, he has shed many of the layers. He continues to go through and heal different depths of pain. And the connection that he has with his wife and his girls is something that he's not had the entire time they've been together. The intimacy, the approach, and I don't mean sexually when I say intimacy, the relationships of depth, because he's been able to shed those layers of armor and open himself to be able to really be the protector and connector in his family. It's changed the trajectory of his life. But it's been the most difficult 18 months of his life unpacking these things, because these are the things that most of us don't ever want to revisit. But the only way that we can move forward is if we feel so that we can heal. Okay, I have another question. I'm I'm sure that he spoke about this with his wife before he embarked on this this journey. But I'm also sure that she has to be part of it. She can't avoid his suffering. She can't just say, well, you know, when you get it figured out, let me know. I would, I'm guessing that she is very much a part of his in-depth conversations that he's having with himself. Yeah, there's no way for that to happen without. That's what I thought. I mean, they want them to grow together, then they have to be on the same page. It means they've got to change patterns within their relationship, within their communication, within their marriage. It means that they've got to be open to each other to recognize that you don't flip a switch after 38 years of patterns and all of a sudden you just move forward and are a different person, that it's a process. And even as we start to move through these things, right, he had a deep, deep, deep level of shame and we can shed the layers of shame, but the reality of it is is most of our traumas, most of our paths, most of our pain are going to be adversaries in constant pursuit of us until the day that we die. And so we've got to be vigilant in raising our levels of awareness and intentionality around how we can move through these things and recognizing that we also have to accept the help to get there because most of us cannot do these things alone. You know, I've got a great example in my own household. I mean, I last year, literally last April, my wife and I had a series of events that after 14 years of marriage, believing we were in the best place we'd ever been, we uncovered some things that we didn't even know were there. We discovered that I had been dealing with a deep, dark level of anger that I didn't even know was there. It was buried so deep, Denise, it could barely be excavated. But the reality of it is that there was no option for me than to shut that off as quickly as possible. And so I actually handed my phone when we discovered this to my wife, asked her to clear the next 10 days, and I went back into one of my own processes that we teach around, which is the inside-out method, helping people really become aware, own, unroot, and move through these emotional triggers that are keeping them stuck. So I had to apply what I teach in my world real time and made a promise to my wife in that moment that I was going to do everything in my power to ensure that the negative effects of anger never affected our house as a result of me again. And I'm proud to say, Denise, that in over a year, it's only happened twice. But that didn't happen alone. I had to, we had to create these opportunities of communication, recognizing that when things would well up in me or if I'd get triggered and I'd feel something moving through my body, that I could communicate with her to be able to take a step away without judgment, without resistance, so that I could calm myself and center myself so that I could come back and be the man that I'm capable of being with my wife and my kids. And so, yes, these things often take partnership. Yes, they often are the things that we need to pay attention to. 
Um, but the second step in this whole process is also to identify the pains that we tend to avoid and learn to embrace them. So I'll give a second example on this, and this one's my personal one. I'm not going to relate it to the story I just told until the end, so stay with me for one second. But about 20 years ago, I don't have a lat on the left side of my back. I don't have a tricep in my left arm. My bicep is my gracilis from my leg. I have a curve in my spine because of the muscular imbalance, and I've had degeneration in my spine for the last 30 years. Every three to five years, my daily routine gets outpaced by the decompression in my spine. 20 years ago is when I started to have my physical pain actually coming to a place that I would define it as suffering because it was debilitating in my life. So what did I do? I had to take a step back because I'd already gone through the process of acknowledging the suffering I wished to avoid, which was I did not want to be stagnant and incapable of movement for my entire life because I not only want to have a relationship with my kids while into adulthood, but I want to be able to play with my grandkids in another 20 years. And so when I can sit back and recognize these things, I had to make sure that I was putting myself in a position to make sure that I was okay. So I learned that if my, I stayed lean, if I keep my core strength up, I can maintain flexibility in my world and I can remain with general strength. And my debilitating suffering of pain actually gets put down into a very manageable day-to-day pain. So what did I do? I went and I joined a gym. This was 15 years ago. And I went consistently for 30 days, Denise. Man, I crushed it, right? And then I stopped going. How often does that take place where people, right, go join a gym and then stop after 30 days? I mean, look at every January and every single year, but in this case, because I'd already acknowledged the suffering I wish to avoid, that meant that I had to ask additional questions. So I did that. Now, if I was focusing on the strategy and tactics on how to solve this problem, I probably would have just said, well, this gym doesn't work for me. I'll go join Orange Theory. I'll go join the cycle bar. I'll go figure out if I can join any other type of gym that might keep me moving. But I knew that that wasn't really the the problem. But that's what most people do, right? They try to decide, okay, well, this doesn't have a good fit, so I'm going to go change it. For me, I had to ask that additional question. Am Am I avoiding the pain of lifting weight? Am I avoiding the pain of stretching? Am I avoiding the pain of plyometrics? Am I avoiding the pain of getting up early and the discipline around it? And the answer to all those questions was no. So what became very, very clear is that what I was avoiding was the anxiety I got in a crowded gym. Again, oh, emotional okay. triggers, behavioral pattern, environmental conditioning. So what did I have to do? I had to embrace the pains required to build out my own home gym so I could set up my environment for success because it wasn't about the physical movement. It was about the environment that I was performing. In. And I had to understand that. And I'll close the last step on this concept because I know you're going to ask a question here. But really, at the end of the day, we have to establish this as a habit in every area of our life. And what we know from experts in habit formation is that they even call it an upfront energy tax. There's an expense to creating new habits, new routines, new things. The language that we use on the front end sets us up for failure because we're viewing it as a cost, as an expense, as something that's going to take away until we can gain from it. And what I'm asking everybody to do is to just flip that on its head and start viewing new habits as an investment in your future self. That's going to have the greatest compound effect and pay the greatest dividends in your life because the least selfish thing you can do is invest in you. And, you know... Women in particular, this is just my observation. I don't have any facts or numbers to support it. But it has always been my observation and the female friends that I have that we tend to not take great care of ourselves. We're busy. We always have an excuse. Have to take care of the kids, the puppies, the cats. You've got to go grocery shopping. You've got to run your business. There's always busy, 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 busy stuff. And at the end of the day, we're like, oh, man. I feel like garbage. I'm tired. My back hurts. We've got to stop doing that. Yeah, I would argue that in general, I, I agree that I, there's a high propensity for that in females. 
Uh, I would say that there's a number of men that have those types of patterns, but probably in different activities. I think in general, we've been conditioned as a society to not focus on pouring love, investment, and connection into ourselves first, but we cannot pour from an empty cup. And so we have to really pay attention, right, to what are we doing to fill our own cups, our own buckets, so that we can put ourselves in a position to serve. And thank you. That you just explained everything I was trying to explain. So when when you're talking about, and I wrote this down, inside out method, we've been talking about that a bit. What do people need to know? So inside out method is the approach to really be able to understand that we have to try to get to the root of our emotional triggers or they will continue to pull us in directions that we cannot control. So I'll first just describe a little bit about what this looks like. So emotional triggers are those things that trigger us into a place that we are not in the current moment. It's those times when, you know, our spouse looks at us because we loaded the dishwasher incorrectly. It has nothing to do with the dishwasher. It has nothing to do with our spouse. It has everything to do with how our grandma looked at us when we were four. It's those times that we have such a conditioned response to either defend or react or protect ourselves that we literally have reactions in those moments that, aren't even accurate to the given moment ahead of us. You know, great example. This is perfect back in the day when my wife would ask me, hey, what are we going to do with the kids this weekend? And because being a husband and father is one of the most important things in my world, and because I, at that time, hadn't worked through my shame well enough to really understand this, what I heard through my shame lens was, you've not done enough to be a good husband and father over the last week. So what did I do? I would get defensive, and then I would react and rattle off the 10 things I've done in the prior two days to show that I've been a great husband and father when that wasn't even what she was asking. The reality of it is is emotional triggers often cause us to react. When we react, it creates damage. I'm a big believer that wherever we create damage, we have to create repair. And so I have this belief that we can either allow our emotional triggers to pull us, causing us to react, or we can pull the trigger on our emotional triggers, causing us to respond. When we choose to respond, we no longer create damage and we allow things to move forward. So the basic concept on this is, If we want to escape those patterns of snapping, of reacting, of creating damage, of making sure that when our team comes to us with a problem, that we don't get all tense and shut them out because of our reaction or our fear or our own tendency, but that we can calm down and choose to respond and guide them and lead them through the process. That means that everything begins and ends with us. So we have to raise our level of awareness around this. The inside-out method, there's four steps. We have to first become aware that there are emotions in our world that have actually impacted us, that have created elements of damage, and probably have kept us from becoming the best version of who we are. I've dealt with shame at a very, very deep level. Shame in that there's two definitions, and I, I always give credit to Brene Brown around this. Shame is I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And if you shut that down, you show up in the arena, you're ready to go to battle, it's who do you think you are. You know, I'd be lying if I said that the worth didn't ever impact me, but that wasn't my predominant narrative, which was why it was so hard to identify the shame. For me, everything major I ever did in my life, I have a thing to apologize for. I would literally pull the throttle back in my life and live smaller, make myself less big because I didn't want to threaten or make myself feel badly because I was making others feel badly by how I was living, which had nothing to do with me, by the way. And so I had to understand that. I clearly had anger, which is a secondary emotion. I had to become aware of each one of these things. So when my wife and I unpacked the anger, right, I could have literally in that moment reacted to me like, I'm not angry. What are you talking about? But instead, I chose to respond because I recognize that my wife and my kids are the only thing binary in my world, and if three of them aren't good, I'll walk away from everything else I'm doing. So I chose to listen and respond, acknowledge it, lean in, understand it. And I had to become aware that shame and anger have both impacted my life at a deep, deep level. 
The second step is learning to own it. But to take ownership for not only the fact that those emotional triggers have actually come into our world, but here's the thing. Most of the time, our triggers are not our fault. We inherit them. They're literally conditioned into us by the outside world, by the generational patterns that have been created by our parents and their parents. But guess what? The second they start creating damage in your world, they become your responsibility. So we have to recognize that although they're not our fault, they are our responsibility, and we've got to put ourselves in a position of ownership to recognize that those emotions are actually creating an impact in our lives and they're creating damage in others. And the second step to ownership is that we have to create repair where we've created damage. So a great example on this is when we discovered anger, I literally went and I reached out to all of our family members on both sides. I reached out to the couples that we were closest with and had spent the most time with over the last decade. And I literally went to them and I said, this is something I was unaware of, but now I'm aware. And I just want to own the fact that if I've created damage in your world for anything around this, one, I want to apologize. And two, I want to take ownership to ask you and give you permission to keep me accountable on this path. So I had to create repair with areas that I created damage. And then I had to also create ownership around the fact that this is something I'm going to need a lot of help with. The last step, or not the last step, the next step is where it starts to get a little bit complicated. I think aware and own are two things that very, very many people get to do. And when I say that they get complicated, it's not to suggest that you need to hire a coach. Uh, In fact, I think 98% of people aren't ready for coaching, but I do want to just let you know that this is where it starts to get a little bit more challenging. So, Denise, have you ever pulled weeds in a yard ever? This morning in my courtyard. This morning in your courtyard. So what happens if a weed grow up through concrete, for example? I look at them and say, good boy, and then I kill it. (laughs) And you probably spray it, but have you tried to pull them before? No, I don't spray. I don't like to inhale any of that. I pull them. You pull them. But if they're in the middle of a concrete crack, can you get the full root out? No, but I can. As we we spoke earlier, I can cuss in two languages, so I do a lot of that. And then if if, if the root doesn't come out, does the the weed grow back? Oh, it absolutely grows back. And I get where you're going with this, yeah. So then think about this, right? So, so many of us, let's just call a weed in the lawn. You know, so many people see a weed in the lawn and they're like, oh, well, it's green. It's just like this. If I just mow over, it'll be okay. If I just mow over this weed, it's going to be okay. But every time we mow no, over it's weed, it's going to spread. grow back. And that it's root continues to get deeper and stronger. Right. Exactly. Right? Our emotions are no different. And so the reality of it is the world teaches us to mow over our emotions, to literally just mask them, to show up with a smile on, to move fast, because that's how the world wants us to operate. And so if that's exactly the case, guess what? If we mow, the weed continues to grow. And so that doesn't allow us to escape it. Our emotions, our negative emotions, our emotional triggers are just like weeds. So until we can dig down, put that screwdriver in the ground, wrap it all the way around the root and pull it all the way out, it's going to continue to impact us. And the reality of it is it's getting down to the root, all the way down to the root and pulling it out. Here's the beautiful part about it. When you pull it out, it leaves a hole that hole gets to be filled with new patterns, new thoughts, new activities, and new emotions. You get to literally put the soil into it to be the fertile ground that you want to continue to move beyond that. And that's the final step, is that we have to move through our emotions. Once we've understood the source or source, the roots or roots of these emotions, what caused them and created those patterns in our life, we have to understand how do they move through our world, how do they move through our body, and how do we move through them? So when I say how do they move through your body, it's Guess what? For shame, I've got about five or six different ways that it moves through my body. 
I just told you about how I would get defensive with my wife in those situations that was rooted in my shame, but I also talk fast and I have a loud voice. I can't tell you how many times in the corporate world when I used to have our old business, people would lean over and put their hand on my shoulder and be like, shh, 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 Brian, you can't talk that fast. You can't talk that loud. And then I'd shrink down in myself, bite my tongue, and all of a sudden feel not worthy of being in that conversation. So in one situation, I move down. In another situation, I move up. And so why this gets so difficult is we have a difficult time identifying the same emotion in our body and how it moves differently. I have clients that have anxiety move differently when it's at work versus their, their parents or their spouse or their kids. So I've got about five or six different ways that shame moves through my body. I've got about five or six different ways that anger moves through my body. And until we understand exactly where it is, we cannot be intentional with what we're unaware of. So we have to take the time to understand how do the emotions actually move through us and how do we experience them in our bodies. Once we have that, we can start to understand how does it move through our world. And what I mean by this is where do we get triggered, Denise? For shame, I have about 50 triggers that I'm aware of. And anger, I've got over 60 that I'm aware of up until this moment. For anger, a great example, I could be laying on the couch, totally peaceful. But if one of my kids jumps on me and I'm not expecting it, for whatever reason, I've got an anger trigger that bumps, bumps up. Now, I have to be really, really careful because that's a reaction in that moment. Sometimes it's purely reactionary based on, ner- on my nervous system. But the last thing I want to do is create damage in my kid's world. The dog's barking is a trigger for me. It causes me to actually feel the feeling of anger, but I don't have to be angry in those moments. But until I understand how it moves through my body, and how it moves through my world, I can't start to match the patterns to really be able to understand the moments that I can move through it. So the moments we can move through it, that's how we move through it. We have to pause, take a breath, and in those moments we can ask ourselves, is what we're reacting to, is what we're responding to due to what's right in front of us, or is it connected to the the trigger that I've already started to unroot? It allows us to ask different questions, pause, and put ourselves in a position of empowerment to be able to respond versus react so that we can create no damage in our world, which also eliminates the need for repair. That's how we can reduce the resistance and energy drain and everything we experience in this world so that we can move faster with less effort. So once you identify something that really bothers you, for me it's repetitive noises, a pin clicking, oh my God. I have been known to walk in meetings and take that pen away. It's either that or I go to jail. It's really, it bothers <laughs> me. I'll need bail money. But So what I'm hearing from you is that you identify it if it's happened enough and you're thinking, okay, this is repetitive and I keep doing this. I don't like it. I'm going to hurt somebody or hurt their feelings or, you know, do some damage, long-term damage without meaning anything by it. So what I'm hearing you say is identify it and then replace it with something different, a different thought. Yeah. And the thing is, this can take months or years, right? Not bad Regardless, regardless of how old you are, let's just assume someone's 40 years old. That means there's 40 years of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. If you wake up when you're 40 years old in one day and decide, oh, my gosh, I need to change things, you don't just get to flip a switch and have it all go away. It is a process, again, of healing pain and shedding layers to allow yourself to start to get to the root of the emotions that are keeping you on that same perpetual motion of pattern that's preventing you from being who you want to be. So you have to be aware, but you also have to be consistent. You can't just say, like, with the 30-day thing, well, I'm going to do this for 30 days and I'll have a new habit. I have never found that to be true. I think it's a good start, but I don't think it's actually true because from what I'm hearing with, with you talking with me here today is that maybe you've created a new physical habit, maybe you're walking the dog every day where you only walk sporadically, whatever it is, 
until you have changed your mind about what this is going to do for you down the road, you're probably not going to maintain that habit. Yeah, and I want to take yeah, a little bit deeper than I this because I agree with you, but it's not just your mind. And I think that's one of the things that I think is interesting because so often we hear, like, you just have a good mindset. You have to have good mental toughness. And, you know, honestly, what I realized in the first period of my life is how much our mental and emotional narratives can actually also harm us because the world buys into them. And so for me, it's not just about operating from a strong place of, of mental toughness. Those that truly reach the highest levels of performance in this world are those that understand whether they're hardwired intellectually or emotionally and can start to pay attention to the narratives coming from both so that they can balance and regulate between the two. Because what I'm talking about here is it's not just the choice of making the decision. It's also healing the emotion that you're feeling keeping you in that same path. And so it's a twofold approach where we have to really be able to balance and regulate between these things because let's just call it what it is. We've lost the art of thinking. We've lost the art of feeling. And so not only am I trying to get people to lean in and think more and actually understand what they're doing and have executive functioning and, and reasoning, but I want people to feel as well, which has actually been conditioned out of our society in so many ways. And then the step beyond that is I actually want people to think about their thinking, think about their feeling, feel their thinking, and feel their feeling. It's in that quadrant success lives because we get to see ourselves more clearly so we can move faster with less effort. Say that again, please. I want people to learn how to think about their thinking, think about their feeling, feel their thinking, and feel their feeling. Understood. I just wrote that down. You know what else? And I I wanted to just kind of toss this in and then let you keep on going because you are – I'm fascinated by this entire conversation. I don't want to get in the way. But I also think that some of the things that have been bred out of us, if that's even the, the right name or the right way of saying it, is empathy. Empathy oh, seems to uh, be going straight down the drain. It does. I mean, again, it's being conditioned out of us as a society. If you look at the field book for leadership in the Army in 1945, it had over 140 references to the human condition and emotions and situations and empathy and compassion. In today's, there's zero. It's situational leadership, strategic leadership, tactical leadership, combat leadership. They've literally taken the human condition out of the field training manual, and it's no wonder that we've got PTSD skyrocketing, individuals coming back from combat without the ability to actually function because we aren't taking care of the humans that are inside those bodies. And so, yes, that's absolutely the case. It's being conditioned out of us literally as a society. And that's one of the things that I'm so adamant about is that we've been in such an era of what, right? What house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, what profitable business, what vertical, what approach to collaborate and grow, what ability to make more money. Reality of it is, though, all the what's in our world actually incrementally cause us to lose who we are. If we start with what, we will lose the who. We may gain the what. But we're going to be lonely, isolated, and miserable and not deeply connected to who we are. Whereas on the inverse, if we focus on who before what, which is not something that's happened in the last 20 or 30 years in our world, then all of a sudden, if we shed the layers that the world has put on us, we heal the pain that we've experienced in our worlds, and we can center ourselves clearly in the most bright, burning, authentic light that we once were as children, our most authentic, radically authentic selves, then all of a sudden all the what's in our world become a manifestation of who we are, not the way they were around. And so that's one of the big things that we really want people to understand is, yes, 
the world has been conditioning us. We've been in this era of what? What we're trying to do is usher in the era of who, which begins with each one of you. Well, without being who we are, what are we? Exactly. We're nothing. Exactly. So exactly. the but best thing to do is the best who they were, and they answered with anything other than what they do. Oh, it, that's exactly right. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I was asking you for. Yep. I want to know who you are, what it is that you love, who you love. Do you have a dog? Do you have cats? Do you like to – I want to know who you are. Are you empathetic? Are you, you know, what, what are you? Who are you? But we don't ask those questions anymore. And you're right. Oh, I'm the CEO of this. And, you know, with me, I remember talking with a, a podcast guest who – Oddly enough, turned he was the uh, the PR. He was a publicist for the Academy Awards. That's on everybody's minds right now, except mine, because I don't care. But <laughs> you know, he he asked me what I did, which I thought was interesting during a podcast. And I said, well, you know, I do all kinds of things. I guess I'm just a nerd in stilettos. And he said, why? <laughs> he said, why haven't you branded that? And when the publicist for the Academy Awards says, Denise, you do it. It's okay, okay, okay. But I didn't have an answer. You know, who are you? What is it that, you know, and all I could do is say, well, I guess. And that kind of had me thinking, do I even know who I am? So that's my question to you. Do we know who we are? And what kind of work do we need to really have as a, a physical manifestation, as an emotional, spiritual manifestation of ourselves, how do we get there? How do we know who we are and what we bring to the world? Because if we're not showing up as servant leaders, what the heck? Why are you yeah, bothering? Yeah, totally agree with you, Denise. And the thing is, is, there's no way to answer that question in a simplistic sense because that process looks slightly different for everybody. But I think the reality of it is, is that we know that in general, so many people have lost who they are. I mean, that's honestly one of the reasons why we are so busy in our world is there are so many entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, salespeople, and geez, frontline staff. It doesn't matter who it is or what role they're in, but there are so many people who cannot answer that question. Who are you? And so many people want to be able to answer that question. And they realize that tapping into that in its purest sense is what's also going to allow them to be free in who they are. And so what I like to say, especially when I'm in a format like this, is, look, there are lots and lots and lots of approaches that I have and believe that help people get back to the core of who they are. Again, I think it's a process of simultaneously healing the pain and suffering that you've experienced in your life, the traumas, the things that you need to unroot, as it is shedding the layers of what you've allowed the world to place on you or the limiting beliefs that you've placed on yourself. And it's only through that process that we really start to get there. But when some people say, well, how do I know if I'm even close? Where do I start? Just create two lists to begin with. On one list, I want you to create all the sources, people, places, environments, sources of information, things that you consume that light you up, that make you feel like you could run 30 miles with no effort, that you'll be waking up every single day happy to be running through that same wall over and over because it just gives you the energy, the connection, the excitement. It's those times when you walk away from a conversation with somebody and you just feel like you're floating. Those moments that you're spending time with your friends or your loved ones and you just are laughing 
at the hardest belly laugh that you've ever had, those moments that you feel alive. We all know what that feels like to me. Then I want you to create a counter list. All the places, things that you do, sources of information, environments that leave you feeling depleted, defeated, unworthy. That one hour feels like eight. That you can't imagine going back and just enduring that deep, deep, deep level of pain. But how many people, right, spend eight hours a day in a profession, miserable beyond measure, but they're like, well, I got to work. I got to do these things. But it's slowly and incrementally killing them. What about the people that leave you feeling rattled, not like yourself, not good enough, the situations and whatever you consume that puts you into anything on the negative spectrum of emotions? We also know what that feels like. Yet so many people exist simultaneously in both lists without any intentionality behind it or awareness as to what things fit on which side of that category. So start with both lists. And then I want you to slowly and incrementally start reducing or removing the amount of time, people, or situations that are on the negative list and spending more time on the ways that it lights you up. Just by doing that, you're leaning closer into who you are. And no, that doesn't get you all the way there. But it's absolutely a place to start. But it sets you on the path. And listen, a lot of people go through life. I, look, I have days, moments when I do the same thing, but they're literally just bandaging a hemorrhage. Right. You've got to do this. I've got to do that. And at the end of the day, again, you're exhausted. You got nothing done, although you probably got a ton of stuff done, but you didn't pay attention to it. You didn't, you know, say, hey, good girl, Denise. You didn't do any of that. You just got through it. Nobody wants to live like that. Nobody wants to just get through the day. Where did that phrase come from, by the way? Well, you just got to get through the day. No. No, no, and no. I agree completely. So, you know, you know I, I, wasn't, I wasn't planning to, to, to do this, Denise, but if, if I have your permission, based on the way the conversation goes, I have a free resource that might actually help people better on the path to determining who they are. Um, Absolutely. So I guess I'll ask your permission before I share it. Yes, please do. And I wanted to tell you, you said something earlier when you're asking me um, you know, about weed, you know, going outside and pulling weeds. So I was in my courtyard. I was moving the trash can to the road. And I've got this flagstone courtyard, and little weeds pop up there all the time. And they pop up in about an, a minute. You know, I'll look, and they weren't there, mm-hmm. and they're there. It's the deep south. It happens. But what you said, really, and I wrote it down, it's very important to me. I don't want to poison anything because it's, I don't want to poison anything. I don't want to poison myself. I don't want to poison the thinking of my guests. But I do want to root, unroot what's going on. Yeah. And what you said about you can fill that hole in. Well, nature abhors a vacuum. If mm-hmm. you make that hole, something good can be put in there and something better is going to come along. So I just wanted to, Thank that really put an impact on that's, me. So that's, you know, I wanted to share that, but go ahead and, and share what you were just thinking about. Yeah. So we, we have a resource that we've built and, and we just released it in January over the last few years. We've been really focusing on creating a free resource for individuals that would help whether they know exactly who they are. They have no idea who they are. They're somewhere in between um, getting people started on this journey of, of unpacking, where they need to go. And so nolimitsprelude.com is access to a free course that's got over 30 minutes of video content and the initial beginning of learning how to begin with the end in mind so that we can really go all out and die empty at the end of the day. And so, again, it's nolimitsprelude.com. The full disclosure that I want to give to everybody 
Yes, there's an exchange of email to get this free course. Yes, you will get emails throughout the process of completing this free course. Yes, when you complete the course, you will get four emails afterwards to be able to outline for you opportunities to engage further if you decide you want to stay on that path. But I want to make it very, very clear. The emails will stop after that unless you engage. This is not an email grab. This is not to put you into some marketing funnel. This is truly to add value to you because, again, around this concept of collective impact, I genuinely believe that if this 30 minutes of investment of your time can move you, you will go out in the world and move other people. And so I, all I ask is that if you fully embark upon this process, you take whatever you learn and you move it through the world so that we can free more people. Thank you. And I am go as soon as we're done here, I am heading to nolimitsprelude.com. And I will go through the entire process. So we've got, wow, this has been a very quick hour. We've got about seven or eight minutes. I don't want to stall your thinking. So what else would you like to share with our audience? I love those open-ended questions. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. no, it's great, actually. Uh, I, I appreciate the space to, to actually just lean in with what I'm, I'm feeling and kind of channeling through my heart and my mind right now. You know, this concept that I've been playing with for a while, uh, I, I kind of want to freestyle on for just a second. I, myself, as I have moved myself through this journey, what I've started to recognize is that I can exist with the extremes of emotion in a simultaneous place without being affected by either. Meaning, I can be the observer and the participant in my world real time by recognizing that there might be things that I've identified as stress, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame in the past, or maybe even happiness, joy, and fulfillment in the past, then I can be very calm, central, and neutral in the middle. What I've started to become very aware of is how polarized and politicized we are in everything in our world including in the way that we operate in ourselves and these extremes of emotions. And so what I've been experiencing re recently, which I think is fascinating, and are you, are you familiar with what happens when a person is in a plane flying in a parabolic pattern? No. So, so a plane a flying in a parabolic pattern is designed to create weightlessness. So people who are going astronauts heading up to space, there are people who can pay for an experience to go do this. A plane will fly very, very high in altitude, and they will fly in a parabolic pattern, meaning they'll fly up and fly down, back and forth, for the course of however long they're up in that pattern. And it designs and it creates weightlessness for any of the beings that are inside that, that vessel. When we think about weightlessness, to me, it epitomizes absolute freedom. That's what we desire. We all want freedom in the way that we can operate through this world. But it's also simultaneously the scariest place to be because we have nothing to anchor to. What I've realized in all of this polarization and politicization is that it's not about the black and white. It's not about getting ourselves to a side. And it makes sense why people do that, because we seek to connect with people and we seek safety, protection, to be seen, understood, and connected at the deepest of levels. And so we convince ourselves that if we align with people or situations that are in one of the poles, that we are actually safer in that anchor. But what I've realized in all this time, Denise, is the gift is actually in the gray area. And so when we realize that we want freedom, we have to be able to detach from the anchors in the poles and recognize that the anchor is in us. We are the anchor to keep ourselves neutral, centered, and grounded. But it can be terrifying as we shed the layers of armor, as we move through the pain. We experience more and more incremental freedom, but 
it actually creates this pattern of fear where so many people stop on the process of getting to who they are. So what I want to remember is don't live in the poles. Live inside you. You are the anchor. And the freedom that you desire is right in front of you. It's just out of your grasp, but I promise you that if you put in this work, you'll be able to reach out and grab it. And that's how giants become legends. See, I love that. And I spend a lot of time, you're calling it the gray area. I'm calling it the middle. My brain doesn't shut down. I have a monkey brain. I don't sleep well. I never have. I've never required much sleep. In fact, last night I woke up every hour and 45 minutes every you know every I mean I looked at the clock and went darn it but I was having what I would call lucid dreams and I had Mm. to write them down they were so interesting and I'm positive when I read those there's going to be some really important lessons for me I'm sure they are I love that you said lucid dreaming as well I've been working with a consciousness meditation coach for the last two years and that's one of the biggest things she does is dream work and so I love that you just said that my friend I do it all the time all the time. It's a pathway into who you are right there. It is, and, and I firmly believe that, and I don't worry about it. You know, I'm just thinking, what in the heck? And this lucid dreaming last night happened to be, it was like a serial. You know, I, I went from one episode to the next to the next, and there was no break in between. There's a message there. I just need to figure out what the message was. But you're recognizing through awareness that, those types of things, the way that pain sometimes shows up in our world, the way messages show up in our world, they're typically pointing us at what's important if we're paying attention. And that's exactly. what you're recognizing is that it's pointing you towards what's important. You just don't know what that is yet. But now you're going to go down the path to discover it. Yeah, I have no clue. And I woke up finally the last time this morning, you know, at Cat 30, you know, wave we have pets, you know what that is. And... I went, okay, what the heck was that? And I'm wandering around the house taking care of my morning, you know, stuff, thinking, and I'm not even paying attention to where I'm going. I walked into a column in my dining room. What the heck was that? And I'm I'm dying to figure out what it was. Is it going to happen today? No, I'm going to have to sit with it. Is it going to come back and revisit at some point? No question. It's going to be a fascinating journey. It will be. I'm sure it'll be an exciting one, too. Yes, it will. Listen, you have been an amazingly informative and fascinating guest, Brian, and I'm so, so, so glad we connected. So before I let you go, tell people again where they can find you and what they should be paying attention when they do find you. Yeah, so if you are on social media, you can get me at at Brian on any of the platforms. If you're looking for more of a website to visit, it is brianbogert.com. Um, if you're interested in some of the different things that we're doing across our other businesses, go to IamNoLimits.com. And what I would just say, what to pay attention to. Pay attention to what resonates and moves you. I said it earlier, move people, move people. We put out a lot of free content because we know that 99.99999% of those billion lives will never pay us a dollar and we're very okay with that. So all I ask is be a part of the collective impact. If something resonates and moves you, move it through the world. And I don't mean that just for vanity metrics. I'm not just saying get on social and share it. If you're sitting next to somebody, turn your phone and show it. If it resonated and moved you, let it move someone else and move it through the world. That's the one request I have. And that's going to be the greatest fuel to get us down that path is all of your help. So please, we invest and build this for you. Help us impact more lives. 
Brian, thank you. This has been, you know, you were talking earlier about the things that you're going to have you airborne and, you know, you're going to be happy and happy. As soon as I'm through with this and I listen to it again, I've already taken notes, but this has been an amazing conversation with you. And I can't even begin to express how much I appreciate you sharing. Well, thank you for building a platform for me to be able to pour good into the world and for having the opportunity to be with you, my friend. Listen, anytime you want to come back and you've got something else you need to share with my audience, you just let me know. You've got an open invitation. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes and really anywhere else you consume your business podcast. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio, so find us and take us along on your success journey. Again, Brian, thank you. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.